Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. And we are live with the Standing Room Spartans podcast. I am Kevin. He is Scott. And we are live here on a Sunday morning uh, before NFL London kicks off, I guess. And uh, we're going to talk about the Michigan State-Maryland game from Saturday, which we all watched. We'll talk about the good, the bad, the ugly. Uh, Fortunately, I think there are some good signs, you know, as opposed to the last couple of weeks where it was just there was nothing positive to talk about and we just kind of bitched into a microphone for an hour. There are some positives. We're going to try to cover those as well, uh, in addition to the obvious negatives, considering we lost the game. But um, I wanted to start with a quick story and a question for you, Scott. So uh, as you know, if you listen to the podcast on Wednesday to preview the game, I was traveling this week, and I live very far away from Michigan. So when I see other people in Michigan-related things, whether it's a Michigan State shirt, uh, a Red Wings hat, whatever, I try to interact with people. You know, hey, do you actually, are you from Detroit? Are you a Lions fan? Whatever. Um, And I appreciate those interactions because they don't come very often for me. I was at the airport. I was wearing a Michigan State hoodie. It was just with the Spartan logo. It was green and white with a Spartan logo. That was it. The the Spartan helmet. And <laughs> airport security guy walking through. He looks at me kind of up and down. He goes, oh, another Ottawa Senators fan. Good to see you. And I'm like, what? <laughs> Thinking maybe he's talking to the guy behind me or something. And he's like, yeah, you got the the senator's hoodie. And I'm like, are you talking to me? He's like, yeah, yeah. Like, this is uh this is actually my university, uh, Michigan State. And he goes, Oh, oh, I thought I had another senator's fan. Like, as if to say he is also a senator's fan, which would make you think he would probably recognize that the colors, logo, and everything about it are completely different. <laughs> but uh it was just hilarious and as somebody you know you also live not in michigan anymore um are you a big like if you see somebody walking in a michigan state hoodie are you a will you throw them a go green if you're walking around new york or do you just kind of leave it be no usually i give them a quick go green depending on the context like they're i'd say i'm like 80 percent 
get it go green from me. Um, my wife had a funny one. She was in a bagel shop in New Jersey where we live. And uh, this guy had MSU sweatpants on. <laughs> and she goes, oh, go green. And and he just looks at her like he's clearly this like hungover, like hairs a mess, like just crawled out of bed, getting his hangover bagel. And he looks at her and he's like, what? <laughs> and she's like, go, go, go green, Michigan State, your sweatpants. And he just looks back at her and he's like, these are my roommates. <laughs> and she, like just the most dismissive <laughs> dickish response possible but yeah anyway that um, east coast hospitality <laughs> unfortunately i see more michigan uh, yeah michigan state out here there's a lot of like folks who grew up out here who who went to school in michigan at michigan and, and then came back out here uh, but we do get our fair share of msu transplants like me uh, out here so it's nice there's a there's a couple msu bars in the city blondies up on the upper west side is a great spot to catch a game if you're ever in the city for uh game day great wings um but yeah like the alumni association does that one so um yeah it's nice it's always fun to connect with folks like that um i work with a couple msu grads as well so um it's nice to have those connections yeah it's it's people who live far away from Michigan to this day, it's, uh, I, I feel like there are times. So last year I was really jealous throughout the year of people still local who could go to, you know, I went to one game, I went to the Nebraska game at home and it was just one of those seasons where you're like, man, I wish I was still in Michigan and just being able to go to the games, but then just being surrounded by when you go to work and you can talk about the game with your coworkers on Monday and Tuesday and Thursday and Friday, you know, the Michigan state people in the office and you're, you know, talking to everybody at lunch about how you think the game's going to go. And just that kind of like local energy around the football team. And I don't really get that here, obviously, but then there are seasons like this year where it's like, you know, it's kind of nice to be a little detached from it and not have to hear 97-1 talking about how, uh, you know, Michigan's on a mission to win a national championship and lowly Michigan State sucks and have people calling into the station and have your coworkers making fun of you. Like, it's kind of nice this year to be a little detached from it. So it, it goes both ways when uh, when you live far away from Michigan, which uh, which direction that tilts towards yeah and uh this week is is no different um are we ready to dive in i think so i think we can get to this so um you know i again i'll i'll give the i i really want to try to stay a little bit more positive because we were kind of talking about this before that um if you just start viewing this team and this season through a different lens, it becomes a bit more digestible. Like if you're still thinking of Michigan state football in 2022 with the nine win expectation that you had going into the year, you're just going to be mentally broken by the end of this season. If you go into every week, believing that we are somehow a nine win team, we're, we're clearly not. So if you just, start viewing the team and this is just like the public service announcement advice for everybody just reframe it if you just start looking at this team as like a bowl contender then all of a sudden all of these mistakes adding up you're like well at least i can swallow some of these because we're a six and six team we make six and six mistakes sometimes 
and some of the positives that you see you can actually feel good about rather than like oh well there was only one good play on that drive and we should be doing this it's like no there was a good play in the drive hey let's appreciate it you know so this is just for everybody just try to reframe it because i've done that a little bit and it it has helped a little bit when i woke up this morning i did feel a little less sad than i did last week because i i have mostly successfully just rewired my brain when it comes to this team yeah, we'll circle back to season expectations later in the episode because I do think there's um, a little glimmer of hope for salvaging something out of this season and what it could be if we do, you know, looking back on the season at the end. Uh, I think there could be some redeeming qualities about it. Um, and our our schedule is set up for a strong finish, um, aside from maybe Penn State. So... Yeah, I mean, six and six, I think, is the unfortunately the uh, the bar to to meet and to break at this point in the season. But yeah, if we look at yesterday's game, um, and man, it was right there. I mean, the the bird was in our hands. It seven points lost to kicking. Um, other oppor- you know, that makes it a seven point game. Other opportunities. I mean, it really it was a. Honestly, probably a 50-50 ball game and nothing broke our way leading to a 14-point loss. Um, I don't know. I mean, I guess we can start on the offense. Um, We'll start with the quarterback because everything seems to start with the quarterback these days. Peyton Thorne, not his worst game of his career, but certainly not his best. Um, Never seemed to get comfortable in this one. Seemed to get through one read and get flushed out of the pocket almost every play and just... You know, the offense as a whole, watching this game, it just felt like I was sitting on the bus waiting for them to turn it on the whole game. You know, you're just sitting there like, all right, I've seen opportunities. Let's just start to to link them together. Let's start to make some of this happen. And you're just sitting there like, all right, when are we going to start? Like, when are we going to start making plays? Yeah, I I will say early in the game, there were some, I, I think Jay Johnson did a pretty good job in the, the early script of, making some easy reads and some easy throws. And I thought Thorne early in the game was in a bit of a rhythm and the offense was moving a little bit. And then once that wheel fell off, it, we just never got it back. I, but I will say early in the game, there were some signs of life. There was a little bit of uh, not really, mo- we never really had full momentum. And that's a another point that I'll get to later, but First drive, eight plays, 77 yards. You just kind of move the ball right down the field. And at that point, I was thinking like, hey, all right, well, our defense still sucks, but maybe our offense will score 40, and this will be an exciting game at the very least. Um, Now it didn't end up panning out that way because the second half, our drive chart went as followed. Punt, punt. I'll give you the, the play count to make it even better. Three plays, punt. Four plays, punt, three plays, punt, three plays, punt, four pl- or 15 plays, turnover on downs, and two plays, end of game. So you know, there were some good signs early, and then everything just really sputtered from there and never got back on it. And the, the frustrating thing for me was there were a few opportunities. You know, we'll talk more detailed about the defense later, but especially in the second half, man, like the defense gave you some chances. The defense gave you a couple short fields. There was the missed field goal by Maryland that sets you up 
um, you know, in pretty good field goal or in, in, uh, in pretty good field position, you are on your own 32, I believe, and you go three and out. And then the defense gives you a, a goal line stand. You know, is it ideal starting field position from your own one? Of course not. But when you give up, when you get that goal line stand and you get the momentum going, your team starts getting a little bit fired up and then you go three and out. And it's just like this team has, this offense has no killer mentality, no sense of like, all right, we are taking this game now. This is our moment. Let's go out there, put together a scoring drive and take back momentum. Like there's just we don't have that on offense this year and we did last year and maybe it was all Kenneth Walker and just the whole thing was Kenneth Walker. But I know that I saw Peyton Thorne and Jaden Reed on fourth and one throwing a deep fade and connecting. Like we had some kind of killer instinct last year on offense that wasn't exclusively Kenneth Walker that we are just lacking in, in droves this year because this wasn't the only game where we've had situations like that, where a goal line stand gives you field position, a turnover gives you a nice spot, and the offense just goes out there and falls flat on their face. Yeah, you think about, like, I mean, 2015, our, our whole team was a lot better, but you think about that um, Big Ten championship game in 2015, right? And offense couldn't do a thing the whole game. We're down 10-7 to 7 late in the game, and D'Antonio just said, all right, we're going to lean on what we know how to do. We're going to run the ball all the way down the field. We're going to shove it down their throat. And we're going to score a touchdown and win this game. And that's what they did. It was whatever, 14 plays or <laughs> 18 plays or whatever it was. Nine minutes off the clock. Right. And the problem right now, especially on the offensive side, is that there's no identity. There's no one thing where it's like, all right, we know no matter who's lined up on the other side, like we are better than them at this thing we can be successful more times than not by doing this one. Like there's no one thing that this offense can point to and say, this is our bread and butter, you know, and when we're backed into a corner, this is what we fall back on. There isn't anything right now. And that puts you in a really tough place when, when you are looking for answers and you are looking for, to just simplify the game, execute to a really high level on a really like niche kind of play calling style. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, you could see it, but man, this offense just, I mean, it starts up front. The O-line wasn't great, but Mel Tucker made an interesting comment last week after the game in his press conference. He said, you know, in the running game, the holes are there. We just have to hit them. And after a terrible rushing performance, I, I, I saw that quote and I was like, what is he talking about? Like, yeah, there's nothing, but I, I kept a closer eye on that this week and man, there there's a reason Eli Collins came in the game and started ripping off eight yard rushes because you give him the ball and he runs to the proper hole. He drives hard. He keeps his legs churning and he gets the, he gets what's there. And then a couple more and the new guys, as much talent as you can tell that they have in as much potential as you can tell they have. I don't know if they watch too much Kenneth Walker tape, but man, they're cutting themselves out of the play. They're, there was one specifically that Berger had that drove me insane. There was it was a like an inside zone to the left, and this pretty sizable gap between the guard and tackle opened up, and he was staring straight at it, and he just cuts right straight into a defensive tackle's lap, and it was right there for. I mean, it wasn't going to be an explosive play, but it was certainly going to be five to ten yard rush 
all you need from him. And they're doing this a ton. And I don't know if it's a vision thing or a lack of confidence that the gap is going to hold, but I mean, it's just another example of just this offense second guessing themselves. You can tell they're not playing with confidence. And uh, yeah, I mean, at a certain point you can start to see what the coaches are talking about with execution. And, yeah. Ah, it's frustrating. When a lot of people put a lot of blame on Peyton Thorne and I don't think it was, I don't think he played perfect, obviously, but there were a lot of things that went, that didn't go our way that weren't his fault. There were some big time drops. Um, Tyler Hunt had a terrible drop. Jaden Reed. I don't, I don't want to necessarily classify as many of them as drops because I think a couple of them were really difficult plays, but he had, he had one that I just said, that's just a flat out drop. It was coming over the middle on the slant. He was fully extended. It was a tough catch, but should have caught the ball. Um, And then there were the two in the end zone where it was like, I'm not going to call that a drop in the sense that like, Oh, bad play by the wide receiver. But was it not – I mean, am I being unfair in saying that it felt like both of those plays were plays he would have made last year where Peyton Thorne technically put those both in a spot that they were catchable because he got his hands on both of them, and they would have been amazing catches. Again, this isn't like, a, whoa, Jaden Reed, what's going on? I thought he had a good game. But it was just like I felt like he would have made that play last year, and this year we're just not making that play. And um, again, so I I don't think the whole let's bench Thorn and start the backup because that's going to help things. I I don't think that's the case because if you go back and watch the game again, if we convert all of those you know the the bad drops into catches, and let's say Jaden Reed converts on one of those two plays, all of a sudden you're looking at Peyton Thorn and saying, well, he probably ends up. Um, with those added yards, he probably throws for 260, 270 with two touchdowns and no interceptions. And are we ever talking about a backup quarterback? You know what I mean? Like, it, did he play an all Big Ten level? No, absolutely not. There were some throws that were bad. He got really lucky on that interception that he threw. Oh, that, my God. What uh, a bad call. <laughs> oh, God. We got, and that was another one where, again, you get bailed out like a mf and like you got to convert in these spots but um did he play great no but does he deserve to be benched based on his performance also no because he didn't really get a ton of help the offensive line wasn't really doing well in pass protection um i do not think this is the situation where a backup quarterback comes in and fixes things yeah this game was very much felt like it highlighted how thin the margins are in the Big Ten East. I mean, you're playing a bottom to middle of the pack Maryland team, depending on what you think they are this year in the Big Ten East. And everybody played to like 80% of their potential, you know, like they they definitely showed flashes. People were making plays out there, but they, they left a lot to be desired. And you lose by 14 points, like, they didn't our team didn't play it a horrifically bad game just mistakes cost you big and you have to convert when you get opportunities and the kicking we talked about this preseason we're like when your kicking's good you don't think about it much but when your kicking is bad you see it glaringly and every close game 
and I know it wasn't all on kickers. The first one we put Ben Patton in because apparently we're not liking what we're seeing from Jack Stone, and he pulls it, and that was maybe his only opportunity this season. We'll see. Should be. Um, so that was just a flat-out miss on a makeable kick. But then you've got the strangest snap I think I've ever seen uh, from a long snapper. I still they didn't show like a close up to see like if he threw it off, you know, one of the guards legs or something, but it was so bad. I have a hard time believing something like that didn't happen because it ended up going like a duck straight at the kicker. Uh, I've never seen that. So that one just like <laughs> fluke play. And then, of course, the blocked field goal, which was maybe not on a field goal, but blocked kicks in general are a long time coming. Uh, if you watch our punt team, it's yeah. very clear we're struggling in that. So. Those, I mean, little things take seven points off the board. And yeah, the it's just every phase of the game, this game, there was 80% to our potential, but that 20% just glared its ugly head. Yeah. And I think this is, the coaches have been saying every week that, you know, it's just these little things. It's a, it's the million inches. It's um, poor execution. It's players not understanding their side. And you know, I've taken this for weeks as just the coaches failing to take accountability. But this was the first time really where I came out of the game thinking, yeah, I think they're onto something. I, I think now, again, the context is if your players continue making the same mistakes over and over and over and over again, at what point is it you and the leadership that's the problem? But there were some things where I'm just these drops, these penalties. How many freaking penalties did our offensive line have in bad spots where it seemed like, all right, you know, hey, third and five, we, you know, boom, false start, boom, holding. But it's just, there were so many situations where I'm like, all right, at the end of the day, this has to fall on the coaches because they're they're the ones who are the leaders of this team and and they should prepare the team in a way that, these things aren't happening and whatever the message is, it's clearly not getting across, but there were just so many errors that I think to myself, I can't fault a coach for a guy dropping a pass. You know, I can't to a certain extent, again, when it happens over and over again, but like an individual false start penalty, can't really blame a coach for that that's just a player making a dumb mistake it's not like the coaches didn't tell him what the the snap count was you know that's just the player effing up and uh there was a lot of that and i just i don't want to say that the coaches are are without blame but the players just are not playing good football and uh i think it's a two-way street there so I don't know. I, I want to get to a couple things here on Facebook where I, I put out the uh, question yesterday. Um, I want to get to a couple of those answers. Before we do, we have our friends at DraftKings, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. We're talking touchdowns, big plays, and even bigger wins. New customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win and get $200 in free bets if they do. All we need to do is boost your winnings with the DraftKings stepped up same game parlays. Um, we got a nice NFL slate coming up here today. By the time you're listening to this, it's already over. Uh, I don't know who plays on Monday night, but you can get in on it with Monday night football stepped up same game parlays. 
once per game day all season long. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code TPPN for the Pigskin Podcast Network, of which we're a proud member, to get $200 in free bets if your team wins when you place a $5 bet on any football game. That's code TPPN only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. So I put the, the question out, Scott. I'm going to read a couple of these off, and I want your reaction from uh, from the users of our Facebook group. That's the Standing Room Spartans community. The link is in the show notes. So I said, what changes can be made before the end of this season that you believe would make a positive, tangible impact? And we'll we'll get through a couple of these. Then we'll go through the defense. Then we'll you know go through our normal player of the game and, and stuff like that. But I wanted to, to give this a shout out. First is my favorite comment. I want to get this this out of the way. Uh, our friend Jay Austin with just, I love the energy here, Jay. So he says uh, what we should do to bring positive, tangible results. Bench Thorn and bring back the flea flicker. We can't play complimentary football, so we need to empty the bag of trick plays and be team chaos. Scott, what do you think about Jay's energy here? I love it. Well, um, I said something similar, I think, in the the preview to this episode that we need to be unpredictable to cause chaos. Uh, we did run the flea flicker twice yesterday. We did. Yeah. And I drew think one was a completion and one drew a pass interference call. So, I mean, by the standards of this team this year, <laughs> two <laughs> successful plays um, didn't exactly look the same as last year. But um I, I mean, benching Thorne isn't really going to solve. I, I trust the coaches if they had a better option at quarterback that they would have found. Like, I don't think Noah Kim's going to walk in and exceptionally improve this offense. Um, at best, I think they're similar quarterbacks, but I don't think we have Noah Kim or Kate Hauser sitting on the bench, like wasting potential uh, that they could be putting on the field this year. Um, so, Nonetheless, though, I agree we need to be more creative on offense, and I said this before, but the problem is to be creative, usually you need time. Play Creative offensive plays oftentimes take time to develop, and um, we don't have that right now with our offensive line. So we did see early in the game, we saw some like wide receiver screens getting the ball out quickly, and they were, they were working, and then we started dropping them in the yeah. second half. <laughs> so... I agree. I would love to see chaos. I think it's easier said than done for, for anyone who's never been a play caller, especially when you have gaping um, negatives or, or weak points in your offense. Um, but Hey, you know, it's a classic, it's a classic fan mentality, you know, just kind of like when you're losing hope, just, well, let's throw in the towel, run all the crazy plays, make it backyard football and, and see what when happens. you're down on Madden and you start doing the fake field goals and the, four verticals and yeah <laughs> you just start throwing the kitchen sink out there engage eight was the name of that blitz play right <laughs> it's just like yeah. <laughs> whatever i will say i i do still think we're wasting outside receiver talent that we could be using downfield yes. like i'm not asking us to throw into the teeth of coverage every play but you can scheme your way into getting keon or Jaden reed one-on-one -on -one matchups and then like once a drive just give them a chance on a 30 yarder down the well side there's line. there's the thing is sometimes it's not even a scheme thing sometimes and maybe this is i don't know how much flexibility peyton thorne has in terms of changing pl plays at the line of scrimmage 
but you've got to work a couple in there where you see single high pre-snap and you have read on one outside and one key on on the other side. You just tell them to both run straight. You drop back. You see which side the safety is kind of leaning towards. You throw it the other way and you throw a 50-50 ball up there. Like you got to just... Those don't take too much time to develop. You don't need your offensive line to sit there and block for four seconds while your guy gets downfield. Just quick read. Where's the safety leaning towards the other one? I have a one-on-one matchup. Let's just throw this thing up and hope we can get a nice 30-yard chunk play. Like you gotta you gotta throw a couple of those into the mix when you have that kind of talent that you like you said, they're just kind of wasting out there. Yeah, it doesn't um, it you know, one of the key kind of goals for any offense is to put defenders in situations where they have to pick right and then you're making that's your read guy and you're reading go where he doesn't um and one of the things that we're seeing in modern offenses now especially the ones that are torturing us is the rpo and it's not this new concept anymore it's not some like novel like weird thing that nobody understands like it's well developed all the good teams are using it now and we're not really and that kind of frustrates me because it puts defenders in conflict really deep into a play previously you know you call your play and their first read might put them in conflict but if they make that properly they're going to have the opportunity to be in the right place for that play the rpo is totally different now because it's waiting to one two three seconds into a play to force defenders to make that read late in the play giving your your play time to develop and we're not utilizing that right now. And like at most we're using like, I mean, the flea flicker, flea flicker, but more broadly play action, which works to an extent, but it's, it's just, it's not, I don't know, but the offense just doesn't seem to have anything in its bag this year. That's really making defenses sweat and mm-hmm. it's making them really comfortable and it's making it an uphill battle for our offense to get down the field. Yeah. So two more of these I want to read off. So one real quick hitter, because you kind of mentioned it already. But again, we're talking positive, tangible impact this season. And James Bannon comes in with just, uh, you might want to give Eli Collins more time at running back. So do you think you, you, you talked about your frustrations with the other two backs? You talked about Eli Collins. Do you think that Eli Collins playing more snaps will I don't want to say like result the impact of a of the final score of a game in terms of a win a loss turning into a win but I mean do you think that that's something bringing in Collins that will stabilize the rushing attack and and tangibly impact the offense it's uh, it's hard to think a one running back would fix the running game but I am willing to say this from what I've seen in game and I'm not watching practice and I'm not in the film studies, but just from what I've watched in the games, Eli Collins has performed the best of any of our running backs. I don't know if that means he is the best, but it means he's getting the best results. And at the end of the day, that results are what drives your impact on games, right? I don't care what you do in practice. If you can't put it on the field, you're not a good football player. Yeah. Um, and I, I mean, I already made my gripes about it. I'm not going to revisit what I saw yesterday, um, but I think Eli Collins gives us the best chance to win when choosing a running back. He he keeps his legs churning, he gets extra yards, and he makes the right reads. I mean, he's not going to blow the top off a of defense, but he does the seven right yards to carry. Yeah. Seven yards to carry yesterday. He's a senior. He does the little things right. You can rely on him, and 
he'll surprise you once in a while. And the other guys are surprising me in the wrong ways more than once in a while. Once yeah. in a while. And yeah, to your point, like surprise it like that touchdown run. He was he was scooting out there, made a couple guys miss in in a tight window open space, if that makes sense. Like it was kind of exclusively a one on one situation, but it was in the confines of like you were in the middle of the field. It's not like you were out on the outside, but made a couple guys miss, got into the end zone. I think at the very least, he has definitely earned himself more carries. Now, you know, does he become the lead back? I don't know, but the very least, you, you got to give him the rock a few more times a game. I will, uh, let, I will remind the listeners, Eli Collins does have a 1,000-yard right. season under his belt, something <laughs> a that long none time of our ago, other but... running backs can say. <laughs> um, the last one here is uh, Nancy Fisher. We'll, we'll end this on a doom and gloom. I don't think any changes can be made that would make a big difference at this point. We have a talent deficit. Maybe we can try Kim instead of Thorne. What have we got to lose at this point? Maybe next week will be, or no, sorry, this next week will be a bloodbath. So Nancy, keep your head up. You know, we're, we're all in this together, but um, I do want to, so turn the focus to the defense here before we get to um, game ball and player of the game. So I thought the defense, you know, if you're kind of summarizing this in a couple sentences, Given the expectations that you have going into the game, given relative to the last few weeks to last year, given the context of all of the injuries that you have that we have to account for, you're losing your starting safety in Xavier Henderson, your team leader in Xavier Henderson. You're losing one of your three best players on the team, you could argue, in Darius Snow for the whole year. You're losing another one of the three or four best players on the team in Jacob Slade. You're missing both of your starting um, edges going into the year if you assumed that Winman wasn't the starting edge guy. You're missing a lot. You didn't have high expectations going into the game. All of that said, the defense put the team in a position to win the game. Is that like, am I going a bridge too far here? You like you ho- you hold Maryland under 30 points on the road. You hold them to six points after halftime. Defense played well enough that Michigan State could have won this game. Yeah, the um, I mean, Maryland scored 27 in the big house last week, and they scored 27 at home against us. And I know game scripts played into that to an extent. You know, they were playing a different kind of offense in the second half against us than they were in the second half at Michigan. But um, from what we've seen from our defense and what we've seen from Maryland's offense outside of this game uh I think this is pretty close to the best case scenario um if you take the offensive side of the ball just out of the equation um we gave up one explosive play which was that bruising run down the left side by Littleton um man I know we talked about Mo Ibrahim in terms of a guy you don't want to meet in the hole that dude. I want no part Littleton. of that guy. <laughs> wow. He is powerful. And apparently he was 60 pounds heavier last season as a running back, which makes no sense because he's he's 230 right now. But anyway, um, I think the linebackers still were like, it was, it was shaky the whole way. <laughs> um, the defensive line is really banged up. So I think they, they honestly get 
you know, kind of a not a not a hall pass, but like you gotta understand they're down like three of their top four guys. Right. Um and and same thing about the linebackers, like Ben Van Sumeren was never supposed to have well, maybe it was Cal Halliday was never supposed to have this role in this defense, one of them. But either way Cal Halliday, I just he he played the worst game of I think of his career on on Saturday. I I love the kid. I think he's got a bright future ahead of him. He did not play well. Yeah, and uh, so we did get a little bit of pressure. We got Talia out of the pocket, but, man, he's good, like, outside the pocket, improvising, manipulating the pocket, throwing on the run, keeping his eyes downfield. Like, that's his bread and butter, and he did it well against us. Uh, but, again, didn't give up any explode. There was a couple plays real early that gave us shades of the last couple games. Like, there's that tight end on the no side defender <laughs> on the screen when the tight end caught the ball. But uh, they cleaned it up, and I think – if we can really highlight a positive, it's that the secondary, while there were iffy times in that game, they didn't give anything up over the top. You know, Jaden Mangum, first career start, I think. Yeah. I don't think he had started a game before. He'd played before. Nope. First career start, didn't give up Angelo that Angelo Gross like seam route that he, he seems to give up once a game when he plays high safety. Angelo Gross looked a lot more comfortable again near mm-hmm. the line of scrimmage. Credit to you. You've been saying that for two <laughs> years now, at least. Um, I mean, the nickel, I, I'm not going to put anyone on blast, but the nickel looked a lot better this week. Um, and the corners <laughs> still, I mean... Speed and Brantley still struggled. Honestly, I've, I I kind of like what I've seen from Brantley more than Speed this year, which is kind of surprising. Yeah, Speed, speed has just been struggles. disappointing. He's got, a, he's got a big body, and I was worried about that. I was like, you know, he can be physical, he can be long, but is he quick enough? And I'm not really sure he is quick enough. Um, so anyway, Brantley is maybe this will come back later in a, in a future segment at the end here, but. Seems to be of everyone on this roster, offense, defense, special teams. I think Chuck Brantley is the biggest gamer on this team. Yeah. That dude loves to play. He loves to hit. He loves to stick his face in things. He doesn't back down from a challenge. And yes, he makes mistakes. Plenty of them. He's young. But that dude, you can tell he's earned his shoulder injuries. Right. Oh, well, and speaking of Littleton, right? Like it it got talked about a lot, but Chuck Brantley had no business forcing that guy out of bounds before the end zone. He's he's given up what seventy five pounds in that matchup. <laughs> I mean, there he had no business getting him out of bounds. But he 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 is the scrappiest player that I can remember seeing for us for for quite some time. We've had some really good defense but defensive players. We've had some really physical defensive players. I don't remember anyone who I would classify as scrappy in the same way as I do with Chuck Brantley. He is, he, like you said, he just loves throwing his shoulders around. And if if a guy has ever earned a separated shoulder, it's it's absolutely him. needs to put on needs to hit that weight room again this off season. But um, no, I I do enjoy I do appreciate watching him play. Now you know the coverage has got to get better, but and this is the thing too, where you know. Saturday was a good example of it where at at the very least they didn't give up. They kept fighting, they kept they kept chopping. Uh they played hard. The the defense did. And for a, a group that's just missing their leaders, they're missing their best player. The three best defenders on this team. I don't think anybody would argue are all out with Slade 
Henderson and Snow. And it would be really easy after the last two weeks, you're just getting lit up. All of your best players, none of them came back. There wasn't some big jolt of, hey, all right, we got Slade back. You know, let's turn this thing around. Like, no, there was none of that. Nobody came back. They had their backs against the wall. And in a, a game against a team that's known for their offense, and I, you know, they, there was some rain, there was some weather, but all in all, you put the team in a position to win the game. You forced a couple three and outs. You you gave the your offense some decent field position a couple of times. You you have that goal line stand. We never took advantage of any of those moments. But again, I I I do I think we have to give credit for how much we've been ragging on them week after week. We got to give them credit this week for for stepping up and again six points in the second half. Now you know, again, you mentioned the game script, but it's not like Maryland, you know, just stopped throwing the football or stopped trying to score points. The game was still in the balance until, um, what, until Michigan State's turnover on downs, I guess, or uh, until the three and out after the goal line stand. Like, that game was still in the balance pretty deep into it. So it wasn't Maryland just kind of leaning on a win. The defense just kind of stepped up and played hard and and played physical and there was a couple big hits there was a couple nice um plays kind of all around it was just a, a game where we just didn't have the talent on defense and that's frustrating to say as a fan to admit that it's just like our our team isn't talented right now but our defense right now given the personnel we have there's just not a lot of talent and uh, I think that was pretty glaring. Yeah, yeah. I, I watched uh, before the Maryland game, Joel Klatt from his podcast or one of his shows or whatever was talking about MSU, and I'm sure plenty of MSU folks saw this clip, but um, basically it was like, it's time to press the panic button. And to to an extent for this season, I agree, you know, we should. based on Again, if we're still thinking were. about a nine-win football team, then heck, heck yeah, it's time to panic. <laughs> but he made this point. He's like, this is year three. You know, it's not year one. It's year three. And uh, this is supposed to be the year Mel Tucker's got his guys. And I'm like, okay, can we, can we take a timeout here? Like, Mel Tucker has some of his guys, but at best, they're sophomores which is all it's not an age you expect in terms of the recruits right in terms yeah. of his recruits that he brought in and his first recruiting class was in the middle of covid when he couldn't have it on campus visits or anything so i think to last year we know set a really high expectation for this team that probably wasn't fair in retrospect and you saw that in the vegas win loss totals um but I don't expect Mel Tucker's recruits to be lighting the world on fire. You know, I think I think he has recruits from his first two recruiting classes that are going to make enormous impacts in uh, on this team for years to come. But they're they're still getting their their feet wet essentially. And on the last point on talent is the transfers. We're starting to see a trend here, right? That when guys transfer up. A lot of times that, you know, even if they're at schools, UNLV or Wake Forest or wherever Kendall Brooks came from, Swansea City, <laughs> that's a soccer team, but I think it's Swansea College or something. It was some D3 school, yeah, right? They Greenville, I don't know. Yeah. When guys come up, when they earn a transfer offer from, I'll just use this, probably not fair, but a bad program, 
uh, they've shown something on tape that they have potential when guys are transferring from like a Georgia and, and, and when they get to Michigan state, they're hungry to prove it. Yeah. Right. I'm the small school guy that people aren't going to believe in when guys transfer from Georgia, Florida, Auburn, Michigan, although just off the top of my head, they didn't Alabama exceed any expectations there. Like they, maybe sometimes it's just opportunity, but I, I think we should pump the brakes the next time we get a, a Georgia transfer just because mm-hmm. there's a big name on it, right? Um, so or maybe anyway. the next time we get a Penn State transfer. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's not as talented a team as we had thought, as we had hoped, and the injuries have decimated the most talented spots in some cases. Um, so, yeah, I mean, if we if we want to wrap this up with like well, some expectations the before rest of the we season and then game before balls. we do, I I actually you just that sparked a question that I'm a lot of people on Twitter love talking about the Mel Tucker contract now that we're two and three or whatever we are. Um, so in that statement, there have you lost any op? I don't know the right word for it. Have you lost not hope, optimism, but like confidence, confidence that like Mel Tucker's the dude? Because last year with when we signed the contract, I think we were both pretty level headed and we kind of knew what it was. You you had to sign him up for that contract or else he was gonna go, number one. Number two, we knew that that eleven win season was not saying like fraudulent by any stretch of the imagination, but we weren't what you would like Vegas power rate as a top five, top 10 football team. It was the benefit of a a nice schedule, a superstar running back and some opportune plays in big clutch moments that we came through more often than not. But that wasn't a top five talent football team, right? Um, So you go into this year with the expectations that you had, with the recruiting, the place, and now we're here. And do you have any glimmer of like, oh, maybe we shouldn't have done that 10-year contract? Or maybe like, is there even just a glimmer that wasn't there before that is there now? Yes. I mean, I'd be lying if I said no. Um, this is is Mel Tucker's first really big coaching mountain to get past at Michigan State. Like, that's not to say there weren't challenges facing him when he took the job in the last couple of years. But this is the first time that he's not on the hot seat. So I don't want to, I don't want to like bring that up, but this is the first time that there has been pressure from the program to do better. Like COVID year. We're like, Oh yikes, this sucks. We're going to suck. Yeah. (laughs) And we did suck and it was frustrating, but people were like, whatever, like D'Antonio just retired. It's a funky year. We're just glad to be on the field last year no complaints. (laughs) I don't think, I mean, sure. Ohio state was terrible and Purdue was frustrating, but like great year. This is the first time that anybody has confronted Mel Tucker with like, Hey, you you still have something to prove here. And this is really bad product. And, um, I still think he's a great coach, but I mean, he has to put results on the field. Yeah. I mean, he doesn't have, no, I ask because like, he doesn't have this long resume of head coaching experience. And we did take a bit of a risk with that 10 year contract and just saying, you know what? We believe this is the guy. And I, 
I'm on the set. Like, I'm not really worried about Mel Tucker. We'll see how he handles the coordinator situation. We'll see how he handles the rest of navigating this year. Like, there are some things that will kind of give me a little bit more or less confidence. But as of right now, like, there's there's no part of me that's saying, well, man, I, I really wish we didn't make that deal or that, oh, like, I'm, I'm nervous about the future. Like, we're still pulling in recruits somehow. Like, we talked about the, the four-star who signed last year. So, like, for me, I'm not really worried about the, the long-term future of the Mel Tucker tenure at all. But there is going to be some things that come out of this season. Again, how do you handle the coordinator situation? And, and some other aspects that are going to tell me leaning one way or another. But as of right now, I'm still firmly in the like, don't even bother looking at the contract. Like we're, we're not, we're not crossing that bridge. We're not even, we're not even in sight of that bridge. All right. So one last question for you, and then we'll get to our game ball and uh, play the game. So I'm going to ask it twice um, for before and after this game. So we're going to do a little hot seat rating not for mel tucker Ooh, okay but for the coordinators okay the two court and i don't even know who our special teams coordinator is but i'm gonna throw him in here because special teams needs to be talked about more with what we saw this week so scotty hazelton jay johnson and placeholder special teams coordinator who i don't remember is who it, it is still l's i'm i'm looking it might be yeah <laughs> um one through ten ten being fire him yesterday and shoot him into the sun yeah, it's Ross Ells is still the special team. One being like sign him up to a contract extension. Uh, hot seat rating for those three before this game, as well as you can remember, yeah. after this game. So before the game, Scotty Hazelton, nine. I mean, it. that's about the lowest I could go. After the game, eight. Like I, I do feel slightly better about like just again, I, I started to really see a little bit more of like, man, there's a lack of talent out there and man, we have a lot of injuries and man, some of these guys just shouldn't be on the field, but they have to be. So I guess I'll get now I'm still again, I'm still an eight, but I guess it goes down a little bit. Um, Jay Johnson going into the game like a five after the game like a four again i i think i tweeted it out but especially early in the game i think he put the offense in a position to to get thorn in rhythm and the play calling wasn't as much of the problem as just drops and and bad throws and um again i it's still a four do i love jay johnson do i think let's sign him up for another contract no but I don't think we're we're in firing territory. And Ross Ells, uh, special teams coordinator, um, I don't like. At a certain point, again, it kind of I think with special teams more than anything with the kicking specifically. Like, if your kicker is just going to miss a field goal, then your kicker is going to miss a field goal. There's nothing the special teams coordinator is going to do. I, I hope everybody understands that being a special teams coordinator, you're not like a kicking expert. You're not teaching Jack Stone how to kick. That's not on the Ross L's list of duties. A kicker is just going to have to, at this level, you're going to kind of have to teach yourself. You're the biggest expert on kicking in the room. Ross L's is like a linebacker's background. You know what I mean? Like he's not out there doing technique. So like if your kickers are missing field goals, that doesn't come down to the special teams coordinator, in my opinion. 
Now the the other problems, like you said, the block field goals, you know, the punt coverage is bad, the punt blocking team is bad. The, so all of that adds up where it's like a, a six, seven, right? But I just think right now again, like when you don't have a kicker, it's gonna come down to the special teams coordinator, and that's probably a bit unfair. Yeah, I I don't know why they put Ben Patton in. I don't feel like Jack Stone. It was got a weird move. Enough yeah. of us, like, unless he was just having, like, unless he looks terrible in practice, Jack Stone, I don't get it because he really didn't get enough reps to get comfortable kicking field goals yet. He hit uh, that one from like 44 the other week. Right. Like he was like one for two, I think, yeah. on the season or something. Um, so that was bizarre to me. And we saw what happened and Jack Stone's back. I personally, I, I still think Jack Stone's our best chance at a decent field goal kicker Agreed. on his team. Um, but I mean, the bad snap, I don't want to blame the coordinator, but like, it's got to fall on like it, each mistake individually doesn't feel like a coaching error. But as you mentioned with the other coordinators earlier at a certain point, when there's mistakes everywhere, you can't, like you have to go up the ladder. You have to go up the pyramid yeah. to the coordinator. The kick return is driving me nuts. We are getting our returners contacted between the 10 and 15 yard line. Every time they try to return the ball, which is just dreadful, especially when you're doing this whole, put your best players on special teams. Like where's the results? Like D'Antonio didn't put his best players on special teams. And most of his tenure had great special teams. It doesn't take the best athletes on the field. to have good special teams. Just play disciplined special teams, block your mm-hmm. man and open hole, up holes. Anyway, um, I agree. Mostly Scotty Hazleton. I was like one lower than you. I think like eight going into the game. Now I'm at like a seven Jay Johnson. I was like one higher, probably six going into the game. Now I'm at like a five Ross sells. Honestly, I'm anywhere between a five and a 10 because I don't really care who our special teams <laughs> coordinator is, but I want better execution on special teams. So whether he fixes it or somebody else, just fix the little things on special teams because at this point, they're starting. I don't know if they totally cost us the game in this one, but they certainly massively impacted the outcome of this game. All right, so let's let's finish this off here with our uh, our weekly awards. We have the game ball and we have the player of the game. I will kick us off here with one of them because I feel good about my answer, and we'll see where that goes. My game ball goes to a guy that we've mentioned a couple times. He's been in the program a long time. He's had more excuses than anybody to get up and leave. I mean, imagine being Eli Collins and watching Kenneth Walker through spring and fall camp and just knowing, yep, I'm not getting my job back and then watching throughout the season and going like, this is great go team, but man, I I'm not playing at all. And then going into this year and seeing like, man, the staff is taking two running backs and they're both going to be starting ahead of me. Like, damn, what do I got to do? Doesn't transfer out sticks with the program and comes out five or, um, was here five carries 36 yards and a touchdown seven yards a carry that touchdown run was great um i think he definitely earned himself more carries and i'm i'm kind of excited to see what he can do with them he gets north and south uh and i think he's a good back and i think he had a really good game just he didn't have a ton of touches to where the um the box score ends up looking fantastic but 
in terms of what you did when you were on the field, I thought Eli Collins was awesome. So give give him the game ball. Yeah, Eli's getting his own like different, but Connor Hayward redemption arc here. Um, I I do think he could be a plus back in this offense, especially in comparison to his counterparts who just don't seem to be they just don't seem to be gelling with anything out there. Um, yeah. And he's got such a great smile, such a nice kid. Like by all accounts, I never met the guy, but by all accounts, just like totally the kind of guy you want to root for. And mm-hmm. I know everybody is. So I love to see him getting involved again. Um, my game ball at this point in the season, we're playing on pride and it's going to go to the most proud guy on this team. That's Chuck Brantley. The dude, I don't care. He could be down uh, 200 points with like one arm hanging off. And, like, you know, the Monty Python, like it's yes, just a flesh yes. wound guy. Like that could be Chuck Brantley. He'd be out there with no arms, just slamming his head and shoulders into whatever he could find. But damn it, he'd be doing it to the best of his ability. That dude, he's he's a flawed, you know, he's got he's got plenty of room to improve, but he goes out there. And it plays like a dog every every play. And he did. He saved seven points and he kept us in the game single handedly. That fourth down stuff, like he we talked about the DK Metcalf, you know, track down the running back from all the way across the field. He probably ran twice as many yards as that back did on that play. Yeah, he probably had a hundred and ten yard sprint on that play. And then on the fourth down stop, he came around the edge and and cut out the legs on Littleton to get that last stop. So I mean it certainly took the rest of the team for the other downs and even the fourth down, but two plays that saved seven points twice. Um that dude he's he loves to play hard and and I love to see that with this team, we're going to need to find just attitudes to rally around. And I think I'd start with him. So game ball, Chuck Brantley. So what do you, I'll let you go for the play of the game. Cause I'm still kind of trying to decide in my own. So you got any great options for play the game? Uh, yeah. The refs throwing the, the penalty <laughs> on there. They didn't even say, they said personal foul. 15 that was yards. a terrible they call. Didn't, like, it, it, the call that they would have been making there would have, to, as far as I could tell, would have been targeting, but they didn't call targeting. Right. So then at that point, I have no idea what it was for. Like hit on a defenseless receiver is targeting now. So I don't, I don't know what it was, but it was awful, but I'll take it anyway. No, actually we had a real quick, I'm in a group chat with a bunch of big 10 people and there's like one representative, so to speak from each team. And the, this, this Maryland guy was like, I need to put down my phone. Like I'm so angry right now. And I was like, yeah, you probably should be like, (laughs) we definitely got away with that one. Cause that was early enough in the game too, where, you know, if you're a Maryland football fan, you have seen this, you know, you're you've seen your team lose a lot of games that you know they find ways to lose kind of so to speak and and you're probably thinking like this is going to be what's going to kill us and cost us the game and oh man i would be pissed in that moment if i was a maryland fan that was a terrible call yeah it was 20 to 13 we were driving into field goal range to try to make it 20 to 16 which we ended up failing on obviously but um, and they were going for 27 to 13. So really that was a 10 point swing. could have been a 10 point swing. Um, now they, they rallied, but yeah, it was weird. Anyway, my actual play of the game. Um, I'll take a layup here. I'll give it to the Jaden Reed fade route because we've yeah. been waiting to see that all year. And we finally did his first touchdown of the year, which sounds insane to say. Um, but you give Jaden Reed one-on-one inside the 10-yard line. 
70% of the time he's going to score a touchdown and you just love to see it. I was thinking of that play too, because it was kind of that the connection is back, you know, it was the kind of that brief moment where you thought uh, the Peyton Reed, Jaden Reed thing, like, or Peyton Thorne, Jaden Reed thing, like we're back. All right. We're back in business. Um, I'll, you know what? I've, I don't like doing it, but I'll double down. Eli Collins, that touchdown run was awesome. I, those made the two guys miss quick feet, good agility, um, for a back who's like 210, 215 pounds and gets north and south, that was a really fleet-footed, nice play. Um, so Eli Collins give, getting the game ball and the player of the game play of the game for me. Eli Collins is actually listed at, for the record, 225. So there we go. Our, All right. He's our big back this year. Uh, <clears throat> there weren't too I mean, we didn't have a single play on offense more than 20 yards you know like the, there weren't a ton of like great options to choose from here we didn't force turnovers like yeah um so for a really nice touchdown run i, th- I think you earned it there but those yeah, were so the two plays i was deciding between was folks if you watched the rest of the big 10 this week um i will say there's a there's a realistic pathway to six and six um we'll Bowl get more into still it on the table with other recap or other pre previews we'll probably get into it with the, the ohio state preview because we're going to need things to talk about oh, god so we'll leave it at that but Not there's excited a, for this there's game. a glimmer of hope six and six of the bowl game seven and six i think that's a realistic goal for this team now whether they'll achieve it or not we'll see but i think if you're looking at resetting the expectations inside or outside the locker room that's something you can set your sights on and tell yourself we have a realistic shot to achieve yeah and again like you have to rewire your brain this is no longer a nine win football team that you thought it was going into the year and if you keep thinking that it's going to suddenly turn into one you're just going to end up really angry every saturday you reframe this to a six and six football team then all of a sudden these little wins, these little plays that we make, you know, they feel a little bit better and the mistakes don't feel quite as bad. So uh, bowl game is still on the table. I, I agree with you. There are, there are still four winnable games on the schedule. Uh, so we'll, we'll keep going throughout the season. We'll find things to talk about. We'll find ways to have some fun with it. So if you're a frustrated Michigan State fan, like I know, I get it. Sometimes... There's just weeks where you don't even want to hear it. You just, you're done with the game. You want to put it in the rear view mirror. You want to look ahead to the next week. And if you don't listen to a recap show here and there, I get it. You know, if you didn't listen to Minnesota because you just didn't want to hear it again, I understand. But we're going to be here all season long. If you want some, you know, misery loves company. If you want some company, we will be here. If your friends want some company, we will be here. So share the podcast. We really appreciate it. Uh, ratings, reviews, all that fun stuff. So uh, Wednesday, we'll be back. We will preview the uh, Ohio State football game uh, coming up around the corner here. And until then, I hope you have a great start to the week. Go Lions. Go Green. Go White. Take care, folks.